I'd ask you to please turn with me this evening to the book of the Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 10. Proverbs, chapter 18, and verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city and as a high wall in his own conceit. The subject before us uh, this evening is a sure and certain refuge. These words were written by King Solomon, uh, the wisest and wealthiest person of his day. He understood the peril of a person depending upon wealth as their security. He speaks of this rich man's wealth as being his strong city and yet as a high wall in his own conceit. Now while providential prosperity does provide a measure of practical security for us and a measure of legitimate pleasure, it never has and never will provide the all-important eternal security for our soul. Solomon was a person who could speak with experience. He had immersed himself in the entertainments and the attractions of the world, in a desperate search for the meaning of life. And we read in the book of Ecclesiastes how uh, uh, something about his search for meaning in life. He sought it through material prosperity. And what were his initial conclusions? He said, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. And in his final analysis, which is found at the end of that book of Ecclesiastes, he records, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the man under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who wrote uh, this verse, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous runneth into it and is safe. And I want to speak this evening about the name of the Lord because as we look at uh, uh, leadership around us in the nation and in the world and we see some of the terrible atrocities going on in Ukraine uh, under the uh, instruction of a, a despotic leader in Russia and other areas in the world which are so uh, devastated by war and uh, corruption and the like, where can we go? Where can we go this evening? Who can we go to to trust absolutely and completely with an unwavering faith? There is someone we can go to. It is the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And this verse refers to us, refers to the character and the attributes and the reputation of the Lord. His name is an honorable name, an honorable name. This cannot be said, can it, of 
our leaders. We are thankful to the Lord for our Queen who has had such a consistent uh, example and testimony. But she's one in a thousand. One in a thousand. And uh, here we can speak of the name of the Lord in all conscience and absolute truth and true assurance of a God who is absolutely true, completely perfect, and just in all his ways. So the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Now this, Solomon is speaking, using this illustration, because towers in his day were symbols of strength and safety. And Solomon would have learned from his father David the significance of using their symbolism to express God's strength and God's security. His father David had also learnt through experience. And after deliverance from his adversary, David composed a psalm of thanksgiving. And in it he writes, The God of my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my saviour, thou savest me from violence. He goes on later to say, he is the tower of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. And then again in Psalm 61.3, for you, uh, you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. And so both David and Solomon see the significance of this symbolism. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, uh, speaking of strength, security. But why were David and Solomon so convinced about the name of the Lord? Well, they believed by faith and learned through experience like their forefathers, Abraham and Moses. They learned about the complete sufficiency of the name of the Lord. And we live in this wonderful gospel day this evening. And we live in a day when we can look to the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, that God made man, and we can hear these words, there is none other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved. None other name. No other one is worthy. No other one is able to save. No other one can rescue us from from hell. No other one is enough for us. Only Jesus, the provision of the Father to this world in the person of his Son. None other name given unto heaven. Think about that. It is Jesus only who is the appointed refuge for sinners. A refuge for sinners, the gospel makes known. It is found in the merits of Jesus alone. The weary, the tempted, the burdened by sin were never exempted from entering therein. So I want to speak a bit more to encourage you to trust in the name of the Lord this evening. To have confidence in a, in a corrupt world, in a world of inflation, a world of uh, high prices, a world where, uh, where uh, um, uh, we're potentially facing uh, uh, huge difficulties uh, in the financial stability of the future, there is a name, there is a person 
There is a God in whom we can trust. A strong tower of refuge. Well, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And one of the reasons is, is because the name of the Lord is forever. God doesn't change. He's not as a, 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 a one type of God one day and another type of God another day. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Abraham grasped this by faith. We read that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Now, Abraham had lived much of his life as a pilgrim, walking by faith, proving the faithfulness of the Lord. But now he's writing in his old age, and he's received the fulfillment of God's promise in the birth of Isaac. And he establishes a place of worship where he calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And he realizes the Lord is not limited by time. He is not here today, gone tomorrow. He is the one name in which we can trust yesterday, today, and forever. Abraham believed in the everlasting God. He looked forward beyond time to a never-ending eternity. And he thought, in glory, the name of the Lord will be forever. In time and eternity, the name of the Lord, God and his, uh, his perfection and his glorious character will be the same. What a comfort that is today. You remember when David, uh, he was, uh, 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 came back to Ziklag and the city had been taken by the enemy, his wife and children and all the wives and children, the families of the soldiers had been taken and they threatened to stone, stone him in their grief. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the name of the Lord. He encouraged himself even though all around him was devastation. A burnt city. A family taken hostage. And that terrible time for him. In God's grace he went on his knees and he encouraged himself in the name of the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. But then as we consider the uh, name of the Lord as a strong tower of refuge for, uh, the, uh, uh, for the encouragement of our faith, um, we come to Moses. And Moses learned something else about the name of the Lord, something else about the character of the Lord. He found out through the teaching of the Holy Spirit and the words of God to him that the name of the Lord is gracious. And compassionate. Oh, so now we have a God who is forever. And now we have a God who is gracious. A God who is compassionate. And in Exodus thirty-three nineteen, we read, And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Isn't this amazing? The almighty God, God who is holy, God who is eternal, God who is pure. He looks down upon needy sinners and he says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Now in the context of this statement of truth, the children of Israel had rebelled against God. Moses interceded 
to the Lord on their behalf. He realizes that he cannot go on without the Lord. And he pleads for his presence. Heaven received the promise of God's actual premise, uh, uh, presence. Moses is filled with a spiritual desire. And he asks God to show him his glory. And the way the Lord revealed to Moses more of his glory was to teach him more of his character. And the Lord reveals more of his gracious character to Moses under the banner of his name. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And this is what I want you to know about the name of the Lord. I am gracious. I am compassionate. But then, uh, as Moses uh, went on, uh, in this uh, uh, time in his life, in his uh, relationship with the Lord as the leader of the children of Israel, he found that this name of the Lord, the Lord, is a strong tower of refuge as being a merciful God, a long-suffering God, abundant in goodness and truth, and full of justice. And so in the next chapter, Exodus 34, 6, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Again, he's referring to his character, the name of the Lord, who he is. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers uh, upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Yes, the Lord is a merciful God uh, and long-suffering to those who truly repent. He's abundant in goodness and truth. But those that uh, continue in their rebellion, he remains a God who is full of justice. Here Moses is on Mount Sinai again, receiving from God the Ten Commandments, written again a second time by a compassionate God on new tablets of stone, the first having been broken as a symbol of God's wrath. There the Lord descended in the cloud to speak to Moses and met him on the top of the mountain. And then the Lord revealed to Moses more about his character, again under the banner of the Lord. So the name of the Lord is everlasting. The name of the Lord is gracious and compassionate. The name of the Lord is merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. The name of the Lord is full of justice. So when we speak about the name of the Lord, uh, we magnify the Lord in our mind as we begin to think, what does this mean? Why is the name of the Lord as a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe? Because of who he is. And so God is helping us in his word in, to increase our faith and to think about this. Oh, it may be uh, at this time in life you need to know the God of compassion. Oh, the name of the Lord. He is a compassionate God. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You need a gracious God to you. You feel so unworthy. I will be gracious. To whom I will uh, be gracious? Oh, he is a God merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and in truth. But then, what did Moses say at the end of his life? In the book of Deuteronomy 32, uh, 3, he's preaching that last sermon before he's taken to glory. And he says something profound. 
he looks back over his life and he considers the dealings of God in his life. Forty years in Egypt, living in the palace, the best part of those 40 years. Absolutely full of wealth, everything the world had to offer. Forty years in the wilderness following, learning, being taught by God to lead the children of Israel in a spiritual way. And then the last 40 years of his life, leading the children of Israel. And what does Moses say about the name of the Lord as he comes to the end of his life? What does he say? What is his wisdom? What is his testimony? How does he exhort the children of Israel? He says, for I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice, a God of truth, and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Oh, he had such a high view of the perfection of God, the truth of God, the justice of God, the perfection of God. His work is perfect. All his ways are perfect. And you know, at the end of his life, the testimony of the Lord is all praise. His testimony of the Lord is all praise. I will publish the name of the Lord. And Moses has learned through experience then that the name of the Lord and through the teaching of God that God is gracious, compassionate, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. He is great. He's perfect. He's just. He's right. Moses has something to sing about, friends. He has someone to trust in. And Moses is blessed because he took his refuge in the name of the Lord. But then a text said, the righteous runneth into it and is safe. Now, who are the righteous then? Because the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. And this is absolutely true of fallen Humanity. There is no one perfect in and of themselves. So who are the righteous? Well, the word here particularly means right-minded people. Right-minded people. And to be a right-minded person is to be a person of faith. And you remember how Abraham believed in the word of God by faith. He looked at the situation... It seemed absolutely impossible that he would have a son. But he believed in the Lord by faith, and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. In other words, there was a direct link with faith and righteousness. And so it is uh, with us. As we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we trust in him, we're justified by faith in him, and we are given that blessed robe of righteousness in Jesus Christ. We are righteous in him. But to be righteous in him, we have to be what our text says here, to be right-minded. And we'll never run into the tower if we're not right-minded. To be right-minded is to be a person of humility. It is to be a person of faith, looking unto God. That is what it means to be right-minded. And a right-minded person this evening will understand the situation as it is. You will understand the truth about yourself. There will be no cover-up, no pretense, no hypocrisy, no false profession. 
He would say, Lord, I know in and of myself I am a sinner in nothing at all. But my Lord Jesus is all and in all. And I'm looking to him. I'm trusting in him by faith. And my righteousness is in him. My perfection is in him. My all is in him. And I'm running to him. My only security is in him this evening. And I find my all in him. Are you a right-minded person this evening? It's the Spirit of God working in you in such a way that you are becoming even a right-minded person. There's a turning taking place in your thinking and the way you are, your attitude, and it's coming closer and closer to the light, the light of truth, the light of the world, Jesus Christ, uh, the Lord. Right-minded, looking in the right direction, to the right person for safety and security, the evidence that God is working in their lives by right thinking. And a right-minded person will be a dependent person. Casting all your care upon him because he careth for you. You will recognize that I can't go in this way, Lord, without you. I need, all my, I need you as my security. I can only trust in the name of the Lord as my strong tower. I have no one else to go to, no one else I want to go to. Now this right-minded person, it's affecting their lives positively because they have become a Godward-thinking person and that has made them run to the Lord for security, run uh, to him for refuge. So this righteousness then, if we speak of it in the context of perfection, is not in themselves. The righteousness is in the one whom they trust. So the righteous people are right-minded and they have a righteousness from the Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Well, <clears throat> the faith of the Old Testament believers is a witness to us today because they look forward to the Messiah by faith to the Messiah. Uh, their hope and security was in him. Abraham saw my day and was glad, Jesus said. David saw the day of the Lord Jesus. David saw by faith, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Psalm 22, uh, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read in Jeremiah 23, 6, and in his days Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. And Joel speaks of this glorious day of the gospel, the day in which we live this evening. And he wrote, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls, whoever this evening calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance. And then, of course, uh, Peter quotes this verse in Acts 2.21 when he's at his Pentecost sermon. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a name this is.
But then it says here, as we come towards conclusion, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, runneth into it, and is safe. Safe. Well, this word safe in the original means lifted up on high. Well, the story is told of a monastery in Portugal, and uh, it's perched high up on a 3,000-foot cliff, and it's accessible only by a terrifying ride in a swaying basket. And the basket is pulled with a single rope by several strong men perspiring under the strain of the fully loaded basket. They have to be lifted up on high to get up to this monastery, 3,000 feet up. One American tourist who was visiting this site got very nervous halfway up the cliff and he noticed the rope was old and frayed and hoping to uh, uh, relieve his fear, he asked the, one of the men who was in control, how often do you change the rope? And he said, when it breaks, which is not a lot of comfort, is it, if you're in the basket? There is none of this insecurity in our verse this evening. Those trusting in the name of the Lord are eternally secure. They're secure from God's wrath. They're secure from the clutches of Satan. They're secure from an eternal destiny in hell. They're secure in God's love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What security is this, friends? The security of God's love. The security of God's salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. How secure are you today? A manager and a sales rep stood looking at a map with colored pins indicating uh, the company representative in each area. And he said to this representative, I'm not going to fire you, but I'm just loosening your pin a little bit just to emphasize to you the insecurity of your situation. Then there's a false security. One man wrote just before the attack on Pearl Harbor. A Japanese attack on Hawaii is is regarded as the most unlikely thing in the world. With one chance in a million of being successful, besides having more powerful defense than any other post under the American flag, it is protected by distance. A false security. So there's reality. If we trust in ourselves, we're like that pin that's being loosened. We're not secure. There's a false security, a a, a, a false uh, pride, a false uh, sense of our own uh, well-being and security. So what is the answer this evening? Well, the question is, this is the big question. In your situation, in your life, in your circumstances, 
Are you trusting in the name of the Lord? And it says in Psalm 9, verse 10, And they that know thy name, this wonderful name you've been speaking about, will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. And a final reference this evening in Hebrews uh, chapter 6 and verse uh, 13. Hebrews 6 and verse 13. It's speaking here in verse 18, rather, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible uh, for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It is impossible for God to lie. God has underwritten the security that there is in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, taking refuge in this tower, this hope, and it is a sure and steadfast anchor. And it's centered in the person and the work of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's turn to our hymn books as we sing our final hymn this evening. This well-known hymn, number 558. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Number 558. Five,